Hello, everybody. Welcome along to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as always, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever or wherever you join today's podcast from. And on today's show, I'm delighted to say that we welcome back a friend of the podcast, a name that you will be familiar with if you move in the event tech industry and in those circles. But also, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, you will have heard this gentleman join us before. Some incisive comments on the world of event tech virtual events and everything related to the work that these guys do. So I'm delighted genuinely to welcome back from Boston, Massachusetts, joining the podcast today is our friend Devin Cleary, Vice President of Global Events at Bizabo. Devin, welcome back to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me, James. I am thrilled to be here today. Always great to speak to you. It's always a great conversation when when we get a chance to chat about not just all things event tech, but, you know, what's happening in the events industry. You know, we, we forget sometimes, I suppose, that event tech is there to serve, you know, the continuation of this great industry that we call events. And sometimes we can maybe get a little bit lost in, in that tech world. And um, it's important to, to reflect and make sure that that link remains to what we're actually doing with event tech, which is serving all of those live events and and, and, and virtual events that we, we've grown to love over the years. Um, as it, it's, great, it's great to have you back on here. And, and we record this for context for our audience on the 23rd of May. And the likelihood is, is that when this episode drops, drops, Devin, that um, will be in June, will be essentially halfway through 2022. And I thought we might kick off our conversation today just by um, maybe reflecting on those first six months of the year. We were fortunate that after a couple of years of ups and downs and uncertainty and all of that horrible stuff that we had to deal with during the pandemic, that we started this year with optimism, didn't we? We started it for the first time in a couple of years with a really sort of clean slate and a diary of events that we could actually tackle. Um, how has the first half of 22 been for you and been for Bizabo? So it's, it's actually been a really fantastic uh, start to 2022. I think to echo all of your sentiments, we've seen uh, such an uptick in terms of optimism, you know, even at the end of Q4 from a fiscal year perspective and sort of calendar year, you know, I think there was a lot of individuals who were sort of forecasting starting this year with a lot of uncertainty, especially from marketing departments. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, without, without a shred of doubt, a lot of them have started to pivot. Um, that famous word that we've been using time and time again, but a lot mm -hmm. of them are choosing to invest again in in-person. Um, they're starting to experiment with this idea of all the, the different trials and tribulations over hybrid. Um, but I would also just sort of say, too, even outside of the event lens, a lot of factors that have been influencing the decision making and the strategies behind event portfolios, we're finally starting to see how companies are reacting to a lot of the macroeconomic conditions uh, facing us. We're seeing how travel budgets are being reinvested we're seeing kind of new fiscal budgets be allocated to the mm. events uh, around them in, in terms of the marketing teams and what they're going to be able to spend for the first six months. Um, we're also seeing kind of a lot of the impact on the future of work. So it's not just, you know, what event should we be moving forward with or what format makes sense based on where we can meet our customers and where they're going to be located uh, or our community. But it's really about taking a lot of these macro ideas and uh, making sure that you can turn those maybe obstacles or challenges into true opportunity. Uh, and of course, when we talk sort of about fiscal analysis and um, and I suppose consumer spend plays a huge part in this because it was always going to take a time, a period of time for the events industry to not just recover, but to analyze 
how things had changed post-pandemic. And uh, is it fair to say that, well, certainly from my perspective, I think that consumer spending appears to be pretty good for the most part. I know they're talking about cost of living in the UK at the moment and prices going up. But generally speaking, during the pandemic and post-pandemic, consumer spending has been pretty good. And there is a desire certainly for audiences to get back to live events. Um, and, and coupled with that, it will, will come this, what, what you alluded to, which is companies with event budgets maybe mm -hmm moving some of the money that it would have spent on travel into things like virtual events, into hybrid events and realizing that actually the demand is still there. It's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. They maybe trod carefully at the back end of last year and are now with confidence sort of putting some of that money into events again this year. Yeah. I mean, you know, one, one point that I'd love to comment on is this idea of that consumer spending. So one takeaway or sort of a lesson that I would really employ a lot of event, you know, experience leaders and managers to consider is what is the impact on our industry? More often than not, venue selection and the location in which you host your programs are going to be more relevant and important than ever. So if you're looking at consumer spending and individuals wanting to travel again, wanting to invest on their personal hobbies and interests outside of their professional identity, it's really critical that you sort of meet them where they are. Because as I was referencing earlier, a lot of companies right now are tightening the purse strings a little bit when it comes mm -hmm. to overall travel and budget. There is much more scrutiny. And I, I don't use that term to sort of sound too aggressive, but it's more about there's more of a review process uh, in terms of individuals now traveling offsite or outside of their sort of headquarters or purview, wherever they're located in the world to go to another event. Um, so it's really critical that when you're thinking about this location, a strategy to really employ is where can I uh, host an event that might have additional commercialization around that, where it's incentivizing professionals to bring their families or their partners or friends um, and sort of tack on to the event itself to justify their time outside of that market. Uh, and then also giving, you know, their, their sort of, you know, convince me my boss letter for a lot of the event programs that they're attending to get that funding necessary to go. We're also seeing the flip side where a lot of people, a lot of brands are choosing to really meet their customers where they're currently living and working. So meaning it's the reverse kind of formula from the past is we're not doing sort of the major tech hubs or the major convention cities and hubs. We're actually doing more localized micro events or again, we're doing road shows. We're really sort of investing in, in sort of smaller scale in person mm. and warming up and building back up to what we saw for those traditional flagship moments. Sure. And this is this is where we'll come on some analytics and some figures that I'd like to sort of discuss with you in a few minutes. But um, yeah. in terms of um, what you were saying, there, smaller events, looking at localities, picking venues, regions, you know, particularly territories like the USA, where geographically you have a lot of territory to to, to, to cover. Um that the question marks that uh, that companies are rightly asking now about travel and budgets relating to travel, it is not just from a budgetary point of view, but obviously having realized during the pandemic that they can still maintain a level of productivity through hybrid and virtual events and, and digital meeting spaces, um, that question mark over travel is not just a cost one, but there's also that sustainability thing. Because if, if you're a company of the size to warrant sending people off on, on planes to go to events, then as a business, you are likely to have some sort of sustainability document or guidance that you're looking to adhere to. And that is probably playing 
a big part in some of these travel budgets being reanalyzed as well. Oh, I, I could not agree more. You know, a lot of organizations have very strict sustainability policies and, and very aggressive goals where they're trying to um, minimize or lower their carbon emissions and footprint, mm. you know, by 2023, by 2025 and beyond. And there's a lot of steps along the way that they need to be taking. And the amount of travel that their uh, staff is going to be authorized to conduct is going to definitely impact that. So they are going to have new policies and procedures tied to all of this. And again, with more of a distributed workforce, this is another factor that plays a lot with events. You know, in the past, we were so used to as an events team, usually sitting next to each other, you know, seeing face to face every single day in an office. But now we're we're really located all over the world and, and really representing multiple geos and time zones and so much more. So not to shift the, the conversation, but it's even sort of the skill sets that are required right now by event experience leaders tied to all of this sort of managing the uncertainty and all these options in front of them. It's really critical that sort of like organizational and knowledge management is really contained in a process more than ever, more than ever needed, you know, in terms of how are we structuring the internal MarTech and policies and, and, and sort of um, documentation to allow for free flowing communication, brainstorming, and that fluidity that we experience as an events team being so close knit to each other to be able to sort of stay on top of these trends, source inspiration, share that amongst each other. And then again, use that to our advantage to figure out what are the best formats and strategies that we should execute to really meet our customers and our community where they are to further engage and obviously drive the business impact that we're hoping to drive is a major objective for a lot of the events we're seeing in the B2B space. Mm. For, for depending on who you listened to um last year virtual events were going to absolutely be the thing we proved that they work and companies were going to say look why are we spending out the money on live events now we know it works virtually so depending on who you listen to some say well virtual events are going to continue and they're going to be the biggest thing and there'll be a handful of live events other people that you listen to would say the complete opposite. Other people had this strong opinion that hybrid was going to be the way forward. And of, and of course, the realist and, and, and people who work in the industry know that there's going to be a combination of all of those things, depending on the event, depending on what the client needs, depending on what the requirements are. It's tailored to suit. But compared to what you thought was going to happen at the start of 22, have there been more... Or, or, or less virtual events, purely virtual events, or has the trend moved towards hybrid um, as you've seen it? Because obviously you're, you're a company that are helping to deliver hybrid and virtual events through your technology. Yeah, I'm happy to share some statistics. So when we think about just the, the our consumer base at Visibo, um, you know, and again, we have upwards of over 700 customers right now that we work with on a day-to-day -day basis. So we get a lot of incredible insights behind the scenes that we can extract and really identify some of the key trends in market. And these are more mid to enterprise grade accounts and in type in terms of company size, employee size, et cetera. Right. Um, the number of in-person and hybrid events. Um, and let's just say from Q4 of 21 till Q2 right now, 2022, based on a calendar year, We've actually seen an increase by 225% of the volume of in-person and hybrid events that these brands are choosing to execute as maybe one type of event within their overall matrix or their portfolio of events. Um, but at the same time, we're also still seeing a steady volume of virtual 
that we still saw in terms of 2021 numbers. Mm -hmm. So I'm not super surprised by this. I think a lot of brands are having a little bit more comfort. Um, and even though there are, you know, outside circumstances that are still impacting that decision beyond just what your customers and what your audience is hoping for and what their needs are to meet them, you know, we are seeing increased prices. We are seeing supply chain issues still being sort of top of mind mm -hmm. um, as something we need to evaluate and consider as an events organization. We're still looking at, you know, pandemic numbers and, and health and um, a lot of sort of, you know, cyclical and, and, and residual kind of numbers bouncing back depending on the region in which you reside. So a lot of these factors are playing strong in terms of what is the right format? You know, I, I mean, my, my biggest advice to all of you listening today is you do not have to do in person. You do not have to do hybrid. You do not have to do virtual. What you need to do is figure out what your audience needs truly are and really center that around a, a common practice or one word, which is connection. You know, how are you going to enable them to connect? And they're going to give you certain cues and making sure you're very connected, pun intended, to your audience is going to be critical. Are you surveying them? Are you creating focus groups? Are you speaking with them on a regular basis? You know, I can't tell you time and time again how many event teams I've, I've had the privilege of working alongside, and they're not doubling down on really staying connected to their audience. They're not employing certain um, tactics to really make sure they're, they're getting their pulse and staying on top of what their needs are to really deliver and then exceed those expectations, which is ultimately our goal as event leaders. Well, when you mentioned that, 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 that straight away prompts another question that I wanted to put to you today regarding on-demand content, because again, yeah. there was a lot made last year with, with the, with the various platforms that are available to organizers now um, to, to deliver virtual and high and the high and the virtual element of a hybrid yeah. event as well. A lot was made of on-demand content and how it was going to be a great way to help build communities. Are there any sort of statistics now, sort of halfway through the year, that either back that up or or dispel it? What are the figures looking like in terms of users and audiences accessing on-demand post a virtual or hybrid event? Yep. So I don't have a lot of statistics on that on that side of the fence, um, but what I can share with many of you today is we are seeing about ninety percent of on-demand content is consumed within a two, like 14, 10 to 14 day time period post any event. So you really have a very strong engaging window still two weeks after. You know, there's kind of a fun term and, and many other influencers sort of reference this. It's sort of like the happiness hangover, we call this in the industry where many uh, of your attendees have a hopefully exceptional experience during the actual days of the event, the live, you know, portions of programming and they're all of a sudden that drop off directly after it sort of leaves them hanging on for more. So creating your on demand is a really critical way for them to sort of stay elongated. And also they can't physically or even virtually digest every bit of content you probably are offering. So it's allowing them to go back and kind of really continue to curate their personalized journey. What I would say to individuals is it's not so much just saying you have on demand. It's how you're presenting that. It's how you organizationally create that on the back end and what you present to your audience. So for example, are you taking, you know, key sessions and are you creating chapters of content? So it's digestible, it's easily consumable. We all lived through the pandemic and learned very quickly that a 60 minute keynote or two hour sessions were no longer going to be something that was viable based on return of attention. You know, there's so many other distracting factors now that we're competing against during a live program. 
So when you think about the on-demand aspect, you really want to get creative. You know, you want to organize things very similar to, to your run of show and give it that same level of treatment and prioritization in order to keep that audience highly engaged. And then again, leveraging outside channels like your social channels, like, you know, email marketing and other forms of, you know, communication in which you engage with those community members or those audience members on a regular basis and figure out how you can continue to tease out content based on, you know, what they signed up for, what they digested. And there's a lot of triggers and clues that you can use along the way from the actual behavior of your audience mm. to understand what the next piece of content you should introduce them to, but making sure it's not too much and overwhelming because that also can have a similar effect of pushing them away versus making them feel like they can actually engage, pay attention one piece of content at a time, and then moving on and again, continuing to build on top of that as part of your overall story arc, whatever the theme or the focus of that event was. Mm. Uh, uh, uh again sort of taking that and, and, and taking the ball and running with it a little bit i'm curious to see what you think about about something i was just talking to somebody about the other day and that was sure. the difference between what we're doing now yep and to put it into context we're we're recording something that we're calling a podcast the video version has you and i on a screen next to each other with a logo and some branding and there'll be a nice beginning and a nice end to it and we will put that out and we will call that a podcast if you and I right now were live streaming this into the Bizabo platform yep. and it was being watched by a thousand people under the brand of an event and we were calling this a panel session as part of that conference, virtual event content, what's the difference? And to me, there is there is no difference. We, we call one thing a podcast, we will call one thing a virtual panel session. And to me, if you actually look at the fundamental differences of them, there's very, very little there. And uh, I suppose what I, I wanted to ask and what I'm getting at is when we talk about on-demand content post an event, we will say, watch back this insightful panel session from our conference. You know, what's to stop people actually saying, we're going to put all of these out as a podcast. We're going to just call it a podcast. We're going to rip the audio from it and we're going to get it on all the podcast platforms. You know, I, I think there is a, a bit of a trick being missed in the wider industry where we because we've always been quick to, to sort of label things and pigeonhole them. That's a podcast. That's a webinar. That's an on-demand session. When you actually look at how we deliver and record these as we are now, there's very little difference to them. And people can maybe be cross-pollinating their content um, by calling it different things. So I agree with you. I, I don't think there's really a, a true differentiator, but I think in true marketing fashion, it's how we package things. Terminology matters. You know, mm -hmm. if you're calling something a podcast, there is a certain maybe um, expectation or assumption that your audience might carry through because of other outside influences and other maybe personal podcasts or other business podcasts that they listen to. I think What's really important is to also understand, again, what format your audience wants to receive this information. So yeah. it's as simple as even at the start of opening registration and getting them to be part of your program, asking a question like, what is your learning preference? Are you more auditory? Are you more visual? So knowing that answer, you automatically can tailor the post-event follow-up and you can deliver it in the format in which they want to receive. And even taking that small, you know, sort of effort and that small um, focus, it really can render something that makes the recipient feel that it's incredibly personalized and very unique to what other brands are going to, again, sort of this one size fits all, which is 
the opposite of anything we want to deliver and curate in 2022. You know, we are vying for people's attention. And the only way to truly set, you know, se separate ourselves is by adding an element of uniqueness and personalization to every aspect of the mm -hmm. event from pre-planning to on-site or the day of, and then to the post event as well. So I agree with you. I don't think there's a lot of differences, but I would also say, get creative with how you're organizing the content format. You know, like in a recent event I just hosted last week, we even created five minute sessions. We called them the five and five, and we asked the presenters to give five tips in five minutes. And that content is actually approved and authorized for members and individuals of our attendee base who identified that they, they uh, are diagnosed with ADHD, for example, and they have a very short attention span. Yeah. So when yeah. we think about, you know, really meeting, and this is now em em embracing the conversation around DEI and B, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, this is something we have to be very, very mindful of when it comes to content. And again, not to diverge from your question, but it really is very important and something we have to consider every every step and turn with everything we offer with the, with the event. And it's not, not, not diverging at all because you, you're absolutely right to, 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 to raise that as a, as a subject, you know, um, we were conditioned somewhat, I suppose, in the events industry with live events and, and I will reference the sort of the traditional conference format of, yeah. you know, the hour or the 90, 60 or 90 minute keynote session, and then followed by three or four 60 minute sessions where there'd be a 45 minute PowerPoint and then a 50 minute Q&A. And we yep. are sort of conditioned into that. And, you know, the reality is, is that, you know, I'm not saying anything and nobody else knows already, which is that our attention spans are reduced. You know, look at the way we watch videos and content, you know. I watched five minutes of Pulp Fiction the other day on YouTube. I haven't watched the whole film in years. I just stumbled across a five-minute clip of a scene and watched it. You know, we even watch films now in three or four five-minute snippets just because of what gets shared on social media um, and, and clips and so on and so forth. And, and I think we have to be really mindful of that when we are delivering digital content, particularly in understanding that when people look at it on the mobile devices, as great as they are, mm -hmm. they won't sit on them for an hour and watch a keynote presentation. Now, I will say this, you know, there, there have been debates where if the content is really salacious and very sought after and very unique in what the talking points are or the actionable takeaways, people will actually invest the amount of time. I think it's more of a rarity versus what is standard, yeah, you know, sure. but I, I also think that when you think of a piece of content, you it's not just in the existing format in which you originally recruited it for so again for example if you have a 30-minute breakout we're asking our presenters for example for any thought leadership that we're producing is to also supplement that with a slide that is give us your top three takeaways or tips we're also having them pre-record a 60-second teaser that is the summary from audio and visual that says if you're going to go into this session what can you expect what will you walk away with and so much more. So right now we have three pieces of content that we can then repurpose in multiple formats and fashions, whether it's in the event marketing, whether it's during the experience itself. So depending on what you want to see, if it's a quick, like, let me go through these different teasers and whatever really speaks to me based on what I'm most interested in or what I really am trying to double down on in terms of professional development, this really helps me navigate and guide much quicker during the program. So I can truly meet what I need to receive based on what my expectations were. And now I'm going to have a much more positive experience and everyone is going to benefit from that.
Sure. And and I mean, just, just some examples that sort of spring to mind, you know, when I look at a lot of PowerPoint presentations year to year uh, because you know, my, th through my work with various events where it's part of my job doing pre-production and on-site production on the day yep. to, to collate in advance people's PowerPoint or, or whatever, uh, you know, format that they're using. And it, it still baffles me how a, a recent conference that I was uh, I was I was tasked with doing the production on somebody had a PowerPoint that was literally like one of the slides must have had 500 words on it you know long paragraphs of text and I think it, an organizer is missing the trick because those slides if they're generated really well and they look fabulous and there's just enough content on there each slide is effectively a social media post waiting to happen that's a, that's a picture a graphic an infographic with a quote a single line quote from the presenter, you know, a single, uh, you know, a 30 minute PowerPoint presentation beca can become 20 or 30 social media posts for that organizer. If they brief the presenter correctly and say, look, this is what we intend to do with your presentation afterwards. I mean, Put that is, bit of thought in. Yeah. And it's, it's a great tip as well, based on the lesson that you're just, or the use case you're just spelling out, which is as event organizers, are you reviewing the content prior to it going live and actually setting those expectations from the get-go? A lot of presenters, and I'm not trying to, again, you know, assume that everyone does this, but I would no, say course, more often course. than not, we see that people really use PowerPoint as a safety net. You know, They put everything they want to accomplish on a slide because their hope is that by having the text or the visuals on there, people won't miss it. And again, it has the adverse effect uh, there's too much to digest or consume and they, and they, and they zone out. And this is where you completely lose them. I mean, again, it's like, we have to always remember the art of storytelling. You know, you need one very powerful, potent image that reinforces the message of the takeaway. And it is the job of the orator to really bring you along that journey, to create that empathy, to make a connection with the audience. And then again, piece it all together with very clear, actionable takeaways of how someone can you know, again, enter that session and then transform into something completely different. You know, our jobs as event organizers and what I think the ultimate utopia is besides community is how can we answer a very age old question? Who will someone become if they invest in our program and take the time to participate? You know, mm -hmm. are you trying to up level a certain skill set? Are you trying to, you know, forge a new connection? Um, there's a lot of different objectives in which and how we try to achieve that based on not just what the organizer is trying to create or what the impact they're trying, hoping to drive, but the benefits we're hoping to, you know, condition those individuals to have. Um, and again, this all goes back to preferences, all goes back to the ways in which they're going to best learn and asking that information up front will set you on a really great trajectory, but it's really critical, bring it back full circle to make sure that you're very in tune with those presenters and giving those guidelines from the beginning and also having checkpoints with them along the way versus hoping they show up with beautiful slides that are not going to over inundate with text. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, the, 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 not necessarily the flip side, but the other side to that from an organizational point of view is, and this is not all of them out there, but anybody who has tried to organize two or three days worth of speakers at a yeah. conference knows that some of them are not great at getting back to you on email. You ask these questions, you give them the advice, you give the information, and they will still turn up on the day saying, oh, I, I didn't know that that was the case. I'm sorry, I must have missed it. So I have a fantastic uh, recommendation for that. And one thing our head of content at Visivo does for every single event that we host 
we create Google Slides. So we use Google Slides as sort of the, the MarTech or the foundational tool that everyone builds their, their decks in. Mm -hmm. um, we have a pre-existed branded slide deck so that there's a lot of consistency from look and feel because that's also important to make sure that everything feels wholesome versus you know, you're getting a different look from every single presenter coming on stage. Sure. And we share those decks with every single presenter. So we can actually observe and see when and how they're building. We can leave comments on those slides. And it's a great, easy way to sort of stay more on top of it with your entire speaker uh, group uh, and also give them the support, give them coaching, give them counseling, because obviously we know our audience really well and we want to make sure we're giving them as much insight as possible, as well as also, frankly, policing the branding and the look and feel of their slides. And if anything gets too inundated with too much copy, too many visuals, we'll give them that feedback. And we've always seen a really positive return because again, the speakers are also getting a level of concierge and support. They frankly do not receive on an average basis for any sure. other organizer. So it also really sets a really strong precedent and a best practice. And, and, and so I'm just going to make a very, very quick point here. And it's more a comment of something that I experienced it was one of those moments where a file lands in your inbox, you open it and you go, <laughs> because it, it's people still send me stuff for, in advance and it's in four, three screen format. Like, you know, who, when was the last person you saw with a four, three orientation I can't TV, even remember. television, I can't know. you know, come on people, you know, <laughs> even if you're not tech savvy, you know, when you're building your presentation and it's square, surely something's flagging up to that. That's not going to look right on the screen, but it's, it still happens. It, sh it should be, it should be taken out of PowerPoint. Get rid of, get rid of four, three. I want stuff in widescreen format. Anyway, that's my own pain point. I'm going to move I on. I plus I'm, one then. Uh, it, it, it's it's simple stuff like, and it and it sounds really snobby sometimes just to sort of dwell on it for a second it sounds really snobby it sounds like you know i'm being pretentious you know producer or organizer or production team whatever whatever i'm doing but it's not you know to me it's just it, it, it's common sense now we look at your phone look at your laptop look at your tv it's all that shape now you know it looks odd there must be alarm bells ringing with people when they're still doing stuff and putting together a PowerPoint file in four, three format. Yeah. James, audience expectations have never been higher. That is the headline for today. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is. I want to ask you, uh, Devin, uh, as we sort of r rattle through time here um, on the subject of community, uh, particularly yeah. community led engagement. Um, this is something again, that's cropped up on a recent episode that I was, I was talking to somebody about and um, we were, uh, sort of paralleling it slightly with things like the Apple uh, communities. You know, if, if anybody who owns an Apple device, you know, will have Googled how to do something at some point, they'll have gone and gone, how do I change this setting? And inevitably you might land on some of the Apple sort of community forums where users are helping other users. Mm -hmm. And this whole subject of maybe community led events and um, allowing participants and delegates and audiences from that event effectively to become ambassadors and, and help within that community. I'm wondering whether or not that's something that you've experienced through Bizabo and through some of your client activity in working with clients who want to extend their communities. Is it something that you've witnessed and can maybe back up? A hundred percent. I would say out of, you know, our customer base, at least 50% of our customers right now are leveraging and using that terminology. You know, the utopia of an events program is ultimately creating a true community for the brand in which it leverages. 
when we think of community-led events, or as I sort of define them or sort of reference them in a different term, I either use the term distributed events or even user group programs. That's a really, really um, trending focus. And as we mentioned at the beginning of this conversation, there's a lot of event programs right now that are pivoting to or doubling down and investing in roadshows or meeting people where they are. So community-led yeah. is such a great complement to that in terms of how you position and where you sort of, again, um, articulate the objectives of, of how you're going to achieve that. There's many kinds, though, to this program. And no matter what you call them, uh, these programs are an incredible way to drive business impact, add you know, customer value. It increases your brand's reach. It drives customer and, and community engagement at a level that you probably have never seen before if you have not dealt, you know, dabbled into that. So you really want to think about this as even potentially replacing a majority of your flagship. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. there's a there's a time and place for webinars and roadshows and flagship programs and a, a myriad of, of different offerings to make sure that you, you sort of capture the attention of your market and then work with your go to market teams to convert that into business. But this is a, a really important, I think, especially where we are right now with expectations. You need to meet people where they are. You need to give them access to peer-to-peer -peer opportunities. I mean, that's what they're craving more than anything is they don't want to be sold to, you know, mm -hmm. if we look at our digital world and with the advancements of technology, you know, it's so easy now to block ads from your phones, from your computers. And, it's, and that's yeah. what our digital advertising is going down to an extent, because again, people are doing much better jobs of screening. It's the same thing with in person. You have one chance to bring me back after two years and really delight me and create moments of authenticity with people that share a similar experience who use the same product that I use or service or offering. Um, and you really better deliver on that. So community led events is going to be a huge priority right now. And I would say even going into the spring and summer months in the States, um, you know, it's such an opportunity also to leverage really non-conventional venues to bring people together, smaller, intimate, just like in the virtual world, that is also going to really play a, a very long winded game of success for the brands who know how to do that well. Um, and, and choose to, again, double down on that strategy. And it, and it also ties back into a point that you made earlier. It's almost as if we, we, we you know, we, we, we thought about this in advance, is that yes. community-led events can have a positive impact on those businesses who are addressing travel costs. Instead of having to send 10 members of staff to the other side of the country to do something, you could send two and then use your regional ambassadors, you know, your community who are present in that particular geographical location to support the handful of staff that you're now going to send from your business instead of a big team. This, this strategy is also excellent to reward super users because now you can create captains or volunteers in key territories, and they're also helping to uh, lift some of the brunt work from the event organizers or the event teams because they're so passionate about this product or the brand or the company. They're willing to help volunteer their time to also execute or deliver key content or networking moments within those territories on your behalf, you know, and mm -hmm. When I was at HubSpot, we had a, a program called Hugs, which is HubSpot regional user groups. And we we, we really created a rewarding and, and sort of a, a give back program to a lot of these super users in, in, in different territories that really invested, you know, it was sort of a secondary job to them, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, the other piece is we, we are so mindful as brands and as companies around coveraging accounts, you know, and to your point, you may get one or two members from an organization to travel to a location, but if you meet them where they are and you're going to their physical 
office locations or territories in which they're currently living and doing business, you might get 10 people from that account. And now your you know, account concentration and engagement is also increasing. So your customer org and your sales teams are going to be much more appreciative because the probability of success and the opportunity to get face to face with some of these key individuals who, as we know, software is not sold in an isolated bucket. There's not one person who's making that decision. It is influence and purchasing power from a multitude of different stakeholders in a business. So this strategy really plays to the advantage of you being able to engage with all of them in one stop shop, as well as frankly, also being budget conscious. It is there's so many benefits to community led events that I, I really do feel very strongly in terms of brands who have not dabbled in that yet to really start to experiment and see what the true potential they can unlock. And if, if that's um, if that's resonated with any of our podcast followers today and you want to find out a bit more about what Devin and the team at Bizabo are doing and maybe reach out to them directly to extend this conversation, if, as I said, if it's if it's resonated with anybody today about these community led events, it's been there's been a lot of talk about it in the last 18 months or so since everybody has experienced ultimately for the first time or, or, or the, the hundredth time some sort of virtual or digital event. The fact is now I, I'd be surprised to find anybody in the events industry who hasn't got some sort of reference point to to virtual, to digital. And uh, the idea of community-led events and creating ambassadors who support what, what you do, um, I think is, is, is something that will continue to be something that we talk about um, on the podcast. And uh, as I said, if you want to find out a bit more, I'm going to throw the website up there now, bizabo.com, and you can search for them. You know, you don't have to go straight there. You'll find them very, very easily. Um, and on all of the social platforms, just check out what the guys at Bizabo are up to. And uh, and if you want to extend that conversation beyond this particular podcast, podcast i'm sure devin and the team there will be delighted to hear from any of our podcast followers devin absolutely reach out anytime uh you can follow me on twitter at dev cleary look me up on linkedin uh, i absolutely love speaking and engaging with fellow event profs and event experience leaders and marketers so if there's ever a burning question you have or you just want to talk sort of industry shop do not hesitate to reach out and uh on behalf of visibo we're just incredibly honored to have this conversation today uh, we'll continue to fuel your virtual, in-person and hybrid event programs and uh, always interested in being a true thought partner. Fantastic. It's been great to uh, chat to you again uh, today, Devin. Uh, our thanks to everybody for tuning in today. If you are listening to the audio version of this podcast, don't forget that you can go over to eventindustrynews.com, watch video versions of all of our podcasts, as well as access all the latest news features and supplements that are on eventindustrynews.com. And of course, the world famous event industry news supplier directory. If you are an organizer and you're looking for a supplier within the events industry, the event industry news supplier directory is the place to go. Of course, if you are already on that website, hello, welcome along. Thanks for watching today. Don't forget that you can get audio versions of all of our podcasts. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts from, search for Event Industry News and access all of the 200 and I think I'm going to say over, over 270, 280 now that are up there. I was saying 250 at the start of this year, so it's easily got to be creeping towards the 300 mark. Maybe we should find that out, Devin, because we need to do something big to mark the 300th episode of uh, Absolutely. It must be creeping up at some point this year. Our thanks finally, as always, go to our guest today, Vice President of Global Events at Visibo, Devin Cleary, joining us from Boston, Massachusetts today. Devin, thanks again. Thank you so much, James. It was an honor. And we will see you all on the next edition of the Event Industry News Podcast. Goodbye, everybody. Mm -hmm.